Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Today, I interview Sergey Yakimov, the managing partner of Long VC or Longev VC, the co-founder of Longenesis and a uh, a managing partner in Longevity Science Foundation. Uh, Sergey is laser-focused on longevity. We talked about what longevity means, what it entails in the practical sense, where we are today scientifically, and longevity scientific research, uh, what their fund is doing, the types of projects they look to invest in, and just generally his long-term view on the impacts of longevity in society. So this is specifically how you can extend your life, uh, your, your health of your life. We talked about the differences between your biological age and your chronological age. So your actual age of your cells in your body is different than how long you've just been alive. Um, so we'd go deep into the weeds and all that and more. Uh, hope you enjoy. Here is Sergey Yakimov. All right, Sergey, just like that, we're recording. Uh, I'm excited. I was reading a bit about your background, and I don't know exactly where to dive in first, but I really respect your ambitions that you have. Uh, it's it's unusual specifically, but but your emphasis on longevity of the human life and the different projects you've been involved in uh, are really inspiring. Just to kick us off, maybe, do you want to just give me a sense for the different important projects that you have going on now and maybe that have influenced your thinking and what you're working on today? Sure, absolutely. So uh, first and foremost, happy to be here, Mike. Right, uh, Very excited. Likewise, I did study your background a bit. So uh, congrats on, 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 on the things that you have been doing <laughs> up to this point of time. I actually went through the couple of, a couple of podcast episodes as well. Um, so as for the exciting projects that we're now working on, so I, I am actually a founder by background, right? So that's that's pretty important to note, I guess. So I sort of spent all my well, professional life. I'm not that old. I'm 30, right? But um, I've spent all my professional life building my own companies, right? Or and and, and attracting funding to my own companies, etc. And I and I happened to start and happened to stay in what you call deep tech, right? And, and deep tech is essentially working on commercializing hard intellectual property, right? So patent-based, hard science, uh, not that much software, sometimes software implemented, but then always having hard science beneath. So, so this is, this is the thing that shaped all of my, all of my understanding of how I look at commercialization, how I look at projects, how I look at sort of, you know, promising tech, et cetera. 
Um, as we're talking today, sort of, you know, T0 uh, today, um, so I, I happen to wear several hats, actually. Uh, the One of the most recent um, companies that we have collab together with the partners and, and the team, of course, it's called One Genesis, right? So One Genesis is the company that accelerates clinical research. Help surgical companies, you call them study sponsors, normally so companies or study sponsors, locate patients faster. Uh, so without compromising sort of the, the legitimate, the borders that you should have and the legislation sort of asks you to have. Right. And then at the same time, getting the patients in the clinical trials faster in terms of wording. So one just is all about sort of uh, speeding up that drug to done sort of big biases. Now, another hat that I wear is uh, called laundry C or uh, as, as we call it internally, right? And that is our early or early stage um, biotech fund that invests specifically in longevity tech. Um, we look at longevity tech or, or, or life extension tech, um, though in a very pragmatic way as an investor would look at it, right? So we are looking at it, uh, from the way of, uh, tackling or investing in disease modifying therapies that are related to age related diseases, as well as if we're not talking about drugs. So non therapeutics, when we're talking about non therapeutics, we talk about, uh, early diagnostics, uh, predictive diagnostics, personal di personalized diagnostics, as well as AI for drug discovery, right? So that is something we have historical competences in, and this is what we work on. And then the third hat uh, that I wear as a co-founder, um, so the lead is actually different, so one of our partners is leading that, that project, is called Longevity Science Foundation. So the Longevity Science Foundation is a nonprofit uh, organization which we like to call the charity 2.0 sort of uh, effective altruism type of model that we have that we have built where we have established a nonprofit that funds very early stage longevity research which is not yet fit for bc so it's still sort of very fundamental science if you wish these are not yet companies right but that can be very promising and can be very groundbreaking but will die if not funded uh, at this sort of very, you know, inceptional point of time. So Longevity Science Foundation does, does this and it raises money through what we call mem membership fees from the donors, right? Since it's a nonprofit and it has a nonprofit status with all the tax rebates and, and et cetera, where, uh, it is a charity 2.0 because we have built our own DAO. Um, so essentially internal decision making mechanism where we empower the members to actually vote for the funding decisions, pre-vetted, of course, and due diligence funding decisions that the foundation makes, um, and sort of directly participate in the process of vetting these companies and vetting these early technologies and longevity. So that was a very lengthy answer to your question of what I'm up to uh, in, in these sort of last <laughs> last years and the background that I, that I come from very briefly. Yeah, no, I think it's a very competent description of the different of the three different projects you have going on. Uh, uh, taking a step back, uh, what are your what's your view on? Let's just frame out a couple of things. Uh, do you feel that it's possible for science and and humans to solve aging 
do you are you of the camp that aging is something that can be uh scientifically eliminated and and uh, not to say people can't die but that it's possible scientifically to stay 30 years old forever in theory right so so there are very uh, it's a good question uh it's it's also a question that 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 we get a lot when you when you work in in the in the industry right so uh there are many layers um that, that you need to tap into to answer that one so first and foremost you should differentiate between two 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 terms where one is your chronological age and the other one is your biological age Right. So stopping chronological age is, is, is not possible. Right. I and mean, time sort of passes, uh, any way you, uh, any way you put it. Now, your biological age is something different. So biological age is the condition you are now in respective to how your body performs and how your body can perform your basic metabolic functions and sort of how, how the whole engine, you know, still, still works together and, you know, how, how fine essentially works. Right. So, so. There are many tools already in the market that help to track your biological age and compare actual chronological age. These are called aging clocks, right? So there are companies out there are uh, essentially doing right um, part of it. The second part of it is um, when you say sort of staying 30 forever, uh, what you actually refer to is a concept which is called in the industry, which is called longevity escape velocity, right? So it's a very sort of popular cliche term, right? It's used technologically. We should advance. You would be aging one year, right? But then the tech would allow to sort of reduce, technically speaking, biologically, you're still on the very same sort of point in time, right? So you're not, you're not aging your systems to not get less efficient, that sort of thing. Now, the third point is, do you treat aging as disease? And the latest answer is yes, you are, right? So we have passed sort of the barrier when we said, well, aging disease, it's something that just happens where we are now talk about or what you call systemic rejuvenation, right? Um, now, again, coming one layer down, when we talk about systemic rejuvenation and, and sort of staying young, well, not if not forever, then for a long period of time, um, we have two levels of abstraction, where one level of abstraction is something very pragmatic as a VC would look at it. And that is looking on um, as something that happens and accumulates uh, ever increasing amounts of risk uh, to get age-related diseases that would one, one way or another compromise your uh, integrity and, and essentially you know, lead to, to potential death or disability or significant reduction in the quality of life, right? The second level of abstraction is talking about sort of these utopian technologies and utopian approaches that would generally prolong life of a healthy individual, right? And and these are these are two two worlds uh, which are not very far from each other, but you see sort of the, the focus is is a bit is a bit different, right? So in both areas we are moving very fast. I mean, uh, if we talk about age-related diseases. Um, there has been a lot of breakthroughs in, 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 uh, you know, early, uh, well, early treatment. If we're talking disease modifying therapies, early treatment of cancers, um, early 
treatment is still not possible, but sort of preservation, at least sort of freezing the conditions related to the neurodegenerative diseases, such as, you know, your Alzheimer's, Parkinson's of this world, et cetera, right? So some longevity um, enthusiasts or some longevity sort of part of longevity philosophy would say, well, uh, maybe treating diseases is, is not even the end goal. The goal is to prevent diseases. So if you are treating something, then you have already sort of failed partially, right? Because you failed to prevent it. Well, this is where we are excelling as well, right? So we have uh, the last few years brought the rise of all sorts of early diagnostics, uh, all your liquid biopsy-based diagnostics, right? So all, all your sort of I say oncology, uh, early oncology diagnostics based on circulatory DNA, right? So Grail, by the way, was a good company that pioneered the whole thing. So Grail was acquired about two years ago, I think. It was acquired by Illumina, deal size of 7 billion US, right? So the, the, these were the guys who have sort of brought this personalized uh, and, and very early, uh, I think they started from breast cancer, breast cancer prediction. Um, in the market where none of the, none of the traditional methods were able to catch it, and they were able to catch it sort of at almost like stage zero, right? So, so these are things that we're already doing with age-related diseases. Now, when we talk about sort of the second level of abstraction, which is systemic rejuvenation, um, this is where we sort of bounce into the realm of tech that still that has promise, that has demonstrated. Um, clinical first clinical results uh but still has a lot of ground to prove uh and these are for example senescent cell therapies i don't know if you've heard about these right but senescent cells are essentially these zombie cells right that that your body accumulates uh these are not necessarily malicious uh so these are not tumor cells they're not harming you in a direct way but what they do is they don't die and they don't get cleared out right so technically they're still metabolically active and they consume all the necessary food that the healthy cells need, but then they don't replicate and they don't sort of participate. So clean these cells out. There's a bunch of sort of methods now in, in very clinical trials, some in the later stages, which deal specifically with uh, senescent cell uh, clearance, right? So, so like this, again, this lengthy answer, um, I'm kind of trying to paint the picture, right? Yes, aging is a disease. We start saying that aging as a process is actually the disease because it's a process, as every disease, it's a process of slowly deteriorating what you have as your body and as your sort of engine and, and, and the overall, you know, functioning system. Um, but then you should be very careful when you say, you know, living longer, right? So what do you actually mean by that? Do you mean a healthy individual, the average life expectancy of which would prolong? Or you mean very early treatment of the diseases that the individual will get as he or she gets older. Um, so th there are, you know, a lot of ways to play around with it. But then, yeah, we are on the, on the path. Uh, I think we, we've done, we've done tremendous, uh, tremendous amount of, uh, tremendous amount of things to, uh, to be there. Uh, by the way, uh, hmm. by the way, my, it's interesting when I think I, about aging uh, as I just, I just yeah. remembered. So, so the company, the deep, uh, the deep, uh, the aging clock, uh, company, deep longevity. So if you want, if you, everyone is interested or any, anyone is interested, check it out. All right. So, so that is the one that allows you to track your biological age, uh, uploading your physical blood work and, and, and blood data, uh, lab data and, uh, you know, 
essentially comparing how you perform as versus your chronological age and how your biomarkers look, et cetera. It's pretty exciting. It's very consumer oriented. And so check it out if you, uh, deep longevity, if you, mm. uh, if you're interested. If you own crypto and leave it on the exchange where you bought it, like Coinbase, that is a mistake. We've heard the news lately. Exchanges closed, accounts frozen. We're learning the hard way that crypto on exchanges is not really in your control. So what can you do about it? Well, you can get a crypto wallet and control the crypto yourself. And that's why today's show is sponsored by ZenGo. These guys realize that storing Bitcoin and storing crypto yourself can be difficult. It's risky to keep private keys. They realized this and said there's got to be a better way. So they created a crypto wallet that is fully recoverable. So say goodbye to lost Bitcoins. And the security of this wallet is incredible. It's a hacker's worst nightmare. They use a three-factor authentication, including 3D biometrics, so no one can access your wallet except for you. And Zengo realizes that at different levels of the crypto journey, you have different needs. So they offer 27 support and have real people that are available to contact directly within the app. They have a bunch of different coins, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Tezos, and more, and they have all sorts of NFTs available as well. So now for the first time, you can keep your crypto safe with the same tools that the big guys have used for years. Download Zengo, that's Z-E-N-G-O, and use code ATC to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. That's $20 back for your first purchase of $200 or more. Use code ATC and check out Zengo. It's interesting. I think about almost the pinnacle of, of medicine and scientific pursuit of uh, uh, medicinal options as what you're describing, which is stay healthy longer, if you were to summarize it very succinctly. And if you look at the pinnacle of that, it's you have the option to sort of say, okay, when do you want to, you know, you, you can, like, this is the ideal sit- situation, right. which I'll come around to in a second on why I think it potentially introduces new problems. But I think about it as if you really had the ability to just fine tune your aging by, <laughs> from, a, from a biological standpoint, intuitively, you think, well, I'd probably live like hundreds of years, right? And then, you know, maybe one day I'd get bored and then I'd die. And maybe that's true. Maybe that's what individuals are incentivized to do. I wonder about the the long-term negative externalities of having this technology available. Like there'll certainly be massive societal implications and not all of those will be a good thing. If, if Assuming the research and the progress continues at, at any rate, really, uh, over you know, the decades or centuries to come, what new problems do you think society will be faced with when people have a cheap and very effective way to uh, reduce biological aging? Um, certainly, if you think about it from like a systemic societal perspective. I think, again, it's a question that has been around as one of these moral dilemmas of like, should we even live longer to begin with, right? Like, should we, should we even care? Hmm. Um, I, I, I would invite you to, like, I, I don't have, I have my own answer to that question, right? Uh, it might satisfy, so satisfy some, it might not satisfy the others. Yeah. Tell me. So the way of how you can look at it is 
A, humans die, uh, systemically die, uh, very often not because of aging, but because of other factors that you cannot, that you cannot shield the humans from, right? And these are all your environmental factors. These are all your, well, emergency situations. These are all your other sort of life events that eventually come around, right? That's, that's the mm -hmm. first part of it. The second part of it is why wouldn't you, technically speaking, like, because when, when we talk, look, when we talk longevity, uh, we primarily talk about sustaining a healthy high level of human performance, right? We're not talking about, well, how to make the body live to 150 years, right? Mechanically, how do you, you know, how do you preserve life in the body? This is not what we were after, right? So what we were after is maintaining the healthy level of performance. So why don't you want an increasing amount of individuals to actually sustain this healthy performance for a longer period of time? Be economically active both as consumers as and and as producers right and, and sort of and contribute to the society uh, and, and and this is where and this is where you start looking at the problem from the different angle where maybe just maybe right one of the ways of how to solve this sort of silver wave crisis which is found there in europe right where where you have you know a lot of a lot of people that are in their retirement and not enough young people to actually participate in the economy and to sustain the whole pension system for these people that are retirement that have technical. So why wouldn't you want to decapitate of any sort of social benefits, but rather, well, as a, as a, as a full, full scale, uh, economic performer. So, uh, I, I think, uh, so uh, that that's, that's the first part of it. The second part of it is, um, a lot of age-related disease death, um, as comically or as ironically as it might sound, actually happen uh, in the younger age, right? So you have uh, tons of cases of cancer, um, of other sort of neurodegenerative disease developing rapidly in people that are young. And it can be, again, sort of these individuals that can contribute to the society uh, and, and, and be good to the society and bring benefit to the other members of the society. So why wouldn't you want to prevent these risks or why wouldn't you want to sort of work on the early, early detection, early cures for the even morally, but we economically, uh, umbrella, I think the umbrella picture of what's good for, for, for the society in general. After a period of time, um, T2E brings benefits, right? It doesn't bring overpopulation and sort of world hunger and then whatever pictures people normally paint uh, as the most obvious ones, but it rather brings bigger part of the population, bigger performing at their best, which is a good thing. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I align with, with just about everything you said there. I tend to look at developments like this large scale societally impacting technological developments as neither a good or bad thing, 
but an inevitability. And I, I tend to think that people leading these efforts or, you know, being leaders in the industry as kind of being stewards for facilitating a, uh, an integration process with this new technology that doesn't whiplash society too hard. So I think about this with the internet, with basically any large scale impacting technology, uh, as there's going to be a negative externality. There's going to be people who either individually or societally at a whole, uh, pay some price, right? I, I don't believe that there'll be just better health for everyone. And then there's no externality from that. Uh, but I think it's a matter of calibrating the, the impact of that in a way that it, um, is sustainable. And I think it's also important personally to look at the holistic picture of not just individual person or society or all of human species, but all of the organic life and the organism of the earth itself. And then I even think, is there a specific application? And I'd be curious to hear your response on this. Is there a specific application of longevity research that can be designed specifically for intercellular transportation? So if I could basically go inside of a box and shut down my system, hibernate for uh, 20 years, 100 years, 1000 years, and then arrive at some distant planet somewhere. It seems to right. me that longevity and interstellar space travel are related in a way that the, the it, it, take this on for size. So a, the development sophistic, the, the development cycle of an intelligent species on any planet would likely correlate the research of longevity at the same time that they're pursuing uh, intercell intercellular travel or just getting out of the, your own, um, you know, atmosphere mm -hmm. because the, I think the relative technological advances, uh, of machinery, of research, of the specialization. I mean, you need some people that are just focused on these problems, focused on a part of these problems for 30 years. You know, the, it's the kind of requirement that it takes. And so the fact that we're just getting off the planet realistically within the last 30, 40 years, and, and that's a big part of the development of our advancement, technologically speaking. And the same thing is true in longevity. Like it's a relatively new field. There's substantial progress, but there's a ton of improvements to be made in the future. I wonder if this is like a, a, a an occurring cycle where intelligent species on different planets, there's trillions and trillions of them, they develop the ability to extend their own life consciously at the same time that they develop their ability to, to transport themselves to other planets. And like, this is kind of a science fiction type question to you, but I, I pose it just to hear your reaction on the potential for this to be like kind of a coordinated dance that, um, that we're in. It might be also true in other planets as well. Yeah. So, um, I, I think there is, there is a very, uh, there are two parts to, 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 there is a two part answer to, to the question, right? So one is, uh, more down to earth. The other one is more utopian. Uh, the more down to earth part is, uh, the concept that I preach, which is escape velocity. So how do you prolong your life or your, you know, or how do you preserve your biological age, um, at a certain point of time with interventions that you have developed? Right. Um, and, and technically speaking, this is, you know, that this is where you can further hypothesize about sort of the the, the deep space travel, et cetera, et cetera, right? So, or 
traveling at least between different different planets. So that's the first part of it. The second part of it is um, an area of laundry research uh, that has been very sci-fi still. I mean, it's it's it still is sci-fi even for the ones that are in the industry and the ones that are investing in the industry. And this is, of course, um, well, I'm not sure about the correct term, I guess. It's either cryonics or cryogenics. I mean, you can call it either or, right? Uh, but, but that is sort of all of your... Um, freezing cell activity uh right uh, and that is uh and it comes from you know comes from from far from from far away uh, from older sci-fi movies where you can freeze yourself right and 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 then sort of arrive at, at, at a uh, you know a han solo uh type of uh, type of scene right from from star wars <laughs> when they when they pretty much uh froze him and then unfroze him um I am not aware, say, put it that way. So I'm not aware of any significant um, scientific proof or any significant uh, clinical data that would at least partially or at least, well, approximately show that this is something that works at this point of time. There is a bunch of research happening. There are even companies that... uh, offer to freeze you right if you are for example terminally ill but you're not yet dead or if you are dead but then they need to freeze you straight away so that the body doesn't start sort of to decompose etc etc um and 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 there is still some metabolic activity present in the brain but um obviously there is no there is no test to the hypothesis right so it's still a hypothesis uh business for some people but uh, very sci-fi up to this point. Then again, uh, five years ago, six years ago, uh, using artificial intelligence for drug discovery, so using AI to model a small molecule, right? Not using the lab, but but the AI engine to to essentially come up with a molecule candidate was sci-fi as well. Maybe not that sci-fi as as freezing the person and unfreezing someone in, in 150 years, right, on another planet, at our company, six years past, for example, like companies like in Silicon Medicine have pioneered the approach and now have sort of most of the big pharma as their clients. So that said, at this point of time, it's still pretty utopian. Um, given how fast we develop, uh, it might not be that utopian in the next 20 years. Um, longevity escape velocity, by the way, is a concept. So if you look at um, for example, so Aubrey the Grey for, is a good example of like one of the big popularizers of, of longevity. Um, and he has a bunch of, you know, talks on YouTube, et cetera, et cetera. Been through some controversy lately, but still he has done a lot for the field nevertheless. Right. And, and he, um, and he, he, he talks about longevity in a very consumer friendly way. Like it, he actually explains it to people. And he, when he talks about longevity escape velocity, he eventually sort of projects like 30 years from now. Like in 30 years, if we are diligent and if we try hard enough, our tech advancement will, will allow us to sort of reach that. So our lifetime, hopefully. Hmm. And is that something that's deeply motivating for you to realize the benefits of this technology during your lifetime so you can individually benefit? Or if not, what is sort of the emotionally driving factor? Look, the funny thing is, no, it's not motivating for me 
in a sense of using it myself. Uh, using it myself, I would go as far as saying I don't care that much, to be completely honest, right? So, so um, the way I look at things and the way I look at uh, age-related diseases uh, is from a very personal, a very personal experience uh, perspective. So, a I am what you would in pharma you would call it a rare disease patient or an orphan disease patient. Um, I you know I'm I'm lucky or unlucky to have this super rare neurological condition, uh, uh, which doesn't sort of affect my level of life quality at this point of time that much. What will happen in the next two years? I don't know, right? So so but but I've been through my ups and downs with that one, and I have. Being 28 years old back in the days, I have firsthand experienced what it means to have your body and, and to have your sort of, well, performance be downgraded to, you know, an 80 year old, right? And trust me, you don't want to be there. Like you don't want to be there. And I'm not, I'm not offending 80 year olds here, right? A huge, Huge, huge trims. So you don't want to be there. But that's that's the first the first part of it. The second part of it, uh, so, so for it's not it's for myself or, or anything. For me, it's acknowledge issues the, the society has. And these are the issues that are most ignored, right? You don't think about your mortality every day, right? You think about other things. Have you walked your dog? Have you filled up gas in your car? You know, ha have you, you know, saved m much to, to buy a new car, new house, or to marry or, or whatever, take kids to school, right? You don't think about what, what can happen to you. Um, and, and that's, that's sort of the peculiarity of our brain, right? So we don't actually acknowledge our mortality. We, we chose to ignore it. So that's the first part. Uh, the second part is, um, as a VC in the area, uh, longevity tech VCs are actually very mission driven. So everyone that invests in longevity, even with the return in mind, we always look at the investments as the ability to push the field qualitative and uh, qualitatively and quantitatively push the field a little bit forward. So like a, one millimeter at a time, right? As a collective effort. So we don't even compete with each other that much for deals. We rather synergize all the time because we understand that like the field needs big wins to attract more capital, which, which will speed up the research, sort of fuel the whole thing. And then, you know, the, the fire will, will, uh, will shine brighter. Right. So that's, that's the second part. Um, the third part is, I think. So I'm very, uh, I, I like, I, I very much like the principles of, of, of uh, effective altruism. I really do, right? And that is sort of using your wealth and your knowledge uh, to maximize the good of the society. I think the individual is defined by the good the individual generates for the society and, and by the sort of positive uh, delta <laughs> for, of, of, of his or her actions uh, on the well-being of others, right? I, I really do think that way, right? Uh, which also makes me a bit utilitarian because I think that, you know, the outcome actually judges whether some, some actions were good or bad, right? This is your ultimate, this is your ultimate end game when you are trying to assess something. 
so so these things really um so it's not about it's not about living to 150 years i don't care mm. right most probably i won't um but that's not important uh the important is to push the thing forward and and you know use the resources wisely to to push it can I, can I ask you a little bit more on on the first topic there? Uh, what what was it exactly that you discovered that you had personally? Yeah, so and- yeah, so 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 I have um, I have this uh, rare um, neurological thing, which is called which which I never I never knew that I had prior to certain events. Um, it started back in the days with me getting Lyme disease. You know what Lyme disease is, uh, I guess. I mean, it's very popular in U.S by the way. Mm-hmm. So Lyme disease by itself is a, is a nasty thing to have, but it, it sort of, it doesn't kill you or if it kills you, it kills you very slowly if you don't treat it. Now in very, 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 very small proportion of people, Lyme disease can trigger all sorts of autoimmune reactions, which you cannot predict at all. In my case, it triggered an autoimmune reaction, uh, which caused my body to develop a, uh, an antibody um against uh myelin so myelin sheath on on my nerves um and to attack my spinal cord right so so Lyme disease triggered what you call a uh, an autoimmune uh induced uh there is a specific antibody which is called mog m o g uh so the mog uh and and uh autoimmune induced uh, myelitis right and if you Google myelitis uh, or transverse myelitis, you will sort of get the picture of how screwed up <laughs> that condition can actually be. But you cannot even imagine, right? So you're essentially losing your body functions. You can get paralyzed uh, in like one night or, or, you know, lose your ability to walk or to eat or to breathe or to whatever, right? Um, the The mechanics of it are similar in a way to multiple sclerosis. So people with multiple sclerosis, they, they also get sort of nerve damage. They, you get the myelin damage. And myelin is essentially the same thing as the isolation or uh, on the cord, right? So if you take your like Apple charger, this white, white thing uh, is, is, is the myelin and the actual cord inside is your nerve, right? So when this gets destroyed, nerves go haywire, get inflamed and they die, right? So um, in some cases, in some patients, and these are very rare patients, the incidence rate is like one in a million. Um, these, uh, changes are not reversible. So I can still run a marathon. Not sure if I will be able to. In- <laughs> so I'm sort of trying to enjoy my, my best. Wow. Wow. That's, that's it. And is it something that you feel is a, uh, it's, it's, it's ongoing. It's a chronic issue that'll, it seems like it's going to, uh, oh, yeah. there's no solution for it in the short term. Is there? No, 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 there isn't. No, there isn't. You cannot, so you can manage, you can try to manage it. You can try to, uh, like you can try immunosuppression. Um, the, there are no specific drugs that are designated to the issue. There are repurposed drugs. And the drugs that you have are all your sort of corticosteroid therapies, et cetera, et cetera, uh, ending up with uh, specific therapies that patients um, after organ transplants receive when you need to suppress the immune system so that the organ, like your new liver, for example, doesn't get rejected. Uh, but these are all symptomatic. These are not so. So this is, by the way, a very imp- important term. So when we talk investing in biotech, ultimately, you want to invest in disease modifying therapies. 
and that is actually tackling sort of the cause of the disease, right? Uh, the symptomatic part is is less less interesting, and in my case, it's only the symptomatic uh, treatments that are there um, to manage. Hmm. Interesting. And are there any? Do you see the potential for any companies in particular as helping this issue? Like, are there yeah. companies you've funded that potentially could? Yes. Yeah, we, we do. Uh, we, we, we do see, uh, companies that are working specifically on triggering, um, companies in epigenetics, for example. So epigenetics is, is something a bit different to uh, your traditional, well, traditional, as traditional as it can be, uh, gene editing, right? So uh, something different to CRISPR, where in CRISPR, you essentially cut, cut and paste. So it's like CTRL C, CTRL V, uh, for certain genome fragments where in epigenetics you rather reprogram cells to 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 perform certain functions or you know to reverse certain processes or or to restore uh certain elements that they were not able to restore before right so you like you essentially like remap them uh if you wish so so there are companies like that uh they're tackling specifically the issue of remapping the cells so that the myelin on the nerves gets restored Right. And once you restore the myelin, this is where you have the promise to restore the actual, again, simplifying connectivity, uh, right, of your peripheral ner- ner- nervous system, nervous system, et cetera. So, and this is where the patients, this is not e- even like for guys like me. This is also for multiple sclerosis, that, which is much more prevalent, right? Multiple sclerosis, by the way, is a disease of young people, right? So, so the average, uh, the average onset age for multiple sclerosis is 30 years. Um, yet it has all the traits of a, of a sort of age-related neurodegenerative disease. Coming back to your question of, you know, whether longevity interventions would harm or, or benefit the society. There you go. They will benefit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, that seems very clear. Uh, what are your thoughts on the psychological or uh, conscious influence on epigenetics? So I've, I've read about this to some degree that your mind and your body are intimately connected. And we see this in the classic Western medical literature with the idea of the placebo effect, which is kind of like a blind spot of Western medicine because it right. is acknowledged scientifically, but kind of unclear as to what is the mechanism behind it. And it seems undoubtedly that there's a, a, a connection between your conscious experience and your body. And that is true in the obvious sense when you see a tiger, you know, you, you have a, a, a biological reaction to that. Or if a man sees a, a, an attractive woman, there, there's many relationships that are unconscious in the, from the conscious experience to the body. And I think recently there's been more research on how the conscious mind can influence uh, deeply uh, deep patterns in the body, whether they're hormonal or they're related to the autoimmune system, but it's not just high level, you know, fight or fight reactions. It's it's more nuanced, and it seems to me that there's a a, a potential for an unlocking of this connection between the conscious mind to the epigenetics or the, uh, the deep parts of our ecosystem, biologically speaking, that can potentially really help people heal through issues that they're having. I'm curious your your thoughts on this. Well, there are so many ways of how to approach this. Uh, there is a totally unscientific way 
where I could say that, look, our brain is something that is so poorly researched that I could, I, I can, I can only, I can always say that much, right? So, so like we, we don't actually know what power it has. We know it has overwhelming power, but the degree of power and the degree of reversing certain processes under certain conditions of, you know, being sure about something or being motivated by something in a very sort of subconscious manner, uh, we don't even have a clue uh, how much are we capable of, right? And how much is our brain is capable of uh, when it's, it wants to save the body or save itself from from any sort of suffering, right? So that's that's a very unscientific way of, of approaching it. Um, a more scientific way of approaching it is saying, uh, well, epigenetics uh, is all about instructing the cells to behave differently um, as opposed to how they behaved before. Um, I, I'm oversimplifying things, right? And, and, and scientifically inclined people that, that will be watching this might, might say that I'm, I'm, I'm talking nonsense, but I'm, I'm, I'm really not. I'm just trying to make it digestible. Um, and, um, but with epigenetics, you're looking at, well, pharmacological interventions to make it happen. Right, so you're you're looking at drugs which would ultimately stimulate or reverse certain processes, right? And 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 with epigenetic treatments that are currently in studies, we are now starting to explore how epigenetics might work with local delivery, right? So by local, I mean it's still not systemic delivery, where we're not trying to target diseases that are systemic diseases such as cancers or etc. Right? That would mean systemic delivery. Uh, into into the body, we target local uh, things such as scar tissue, for example, right? So how do you how do you reverse skin local reverse skin regeneration so that scars disappear, right? And that's that's a baby step, but it's a huge one actually. Um, how do you reverse damage to your retina? So your all, all, all sorts of ophthalmological sort of indications, right? Uh, and and so how do you how do you prove that it actually works, et cetera. But, but these are these are all pharmacological interventions. Now our body is capable of dealing with issues, complex issues, or immune oncology, right? Uh, which is again, a huge field, right? You like, you can write tons of books about it, but, um, it's essentially how do you stimulate the immune response and how do you reflag, let's say tumors or, or, or harmful cells for your immune system so that you do not bombard them with a nuke, which a chemotherapy is. But rather you make your immune hiding from the immune system and make your body capable of getting rid of the tumor by itself, right? With a little help. Yes, but but not drug or, or not an intervention that would nuke both your you know healthy cells and, and your sort of angry cells. So um, I'm, you see where I'm getting there, right? It, it's it's about it's very often about helping your body to trigger certain mechanisms, even with pharmacological uh, interventions. Um, and then at the same time, you should always admit that yes, placebo effect is there. Uh, we're observing it all the time. Uh, we are observing it in clinical trials as well, where you, where you're doing double blinded clinical trials, where some patients think that they're getting the treatment 
and they actually demonstrate improvement, but then it turns out that there was no treatment, right? And, and, you know, they, they were getting essentially, you know, a blank, uh, a blank pill. So, uh, and the doctors don't know as well because it's a double blinded trial. Um, so that said, human brain and, 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 and in that regard, human body is still a very unexplored territory with these processes. Um, I am prepared to talk about the process yeah. trigger pharmacologically, right? Th- this is where we are more confident. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, I think, I personally feel that there is an enormous potential for unlocking, uh, uh, call it innovation, or like medical improvement on in this specific area of the relationship between the conscious experience to the the deeply biological. There's a a guy that had done a, a study. Wim Hof is uh, kind of a famous. I think he's is he from. I think he's from, where's he from? Somewhere in the Nordic. This guy, if you're not familiar with him, he is uh, known for his breathwork therapies. So he does a lot of breathwork. He does a lot of cold exposure. I think he has the world record for the longest swim under ice where he swam some like super long, like 50 meters under an ice iceberg. And he conducted a uh, scientific research where him and another a number of other people that went through his breathwork and meditation uh, protocol were then exposed to, I forget what it was. It was like a flu or some sort of, um, not lethal, but serious illness. Uh, and they were exposed to this in a hospital setting and they measured the autoimmune response from these patients versus average patients who just, you know, had no no exposure and they were dramatically lower. So the impact that this disease had on these particular patients was extremely low uh, because of a lot of the, you know, you could draw the conclusion that was because a lot of the work that they were doing on the mind connection to the body. And it feels to me like there's a relationship, intuitively speaking, from the energetic part of our body to the physical manifestation of the body. And, and I think there's, I think there's something true to that. I think it's, um, you know, an example of that might be if I'm stressed or frustrated about my relationships in my, my world, then I might develop a physical manifestation of that stress in like, uh, stomach issues or it may be, uh, uh, autoimmune issues or thyroid issues. And I think Absolutely. that this is becoming more, um, serious of a topic of research, scientifically speaking, where it's kind of seen anecdotally speaking. And yeah, it just, it seems very exciting to me. It, it, it is very exciting. And uh, the deeper we dig into the uh, risk factors of, of various illnesses that we now know how to describe and, 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 and try to manage, and, and these are, again, all of your oncological uh, manifestations, et cetera, et cetera. The deeper we dig, the deeper you see that we start to refer to such factors that are 
hard to quantify. And these are, you know, stress. Uh, and these are sort of all, all of the, all of the emotion, emotional hardships that you are, you know, putting yourself through, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, again, it, it works. So, so empirically speaking, scientifically speaking, you kind of, you cannot measure it. If you cannot measure it, you cannot prove that it exists, right? So there is, but uh, there is no like numerical correlation between the two. Um, but that said, I think everyone agrees already that, that your mind is the, the, the party, the party setter, right? And, uh, and, and the state you're in meant, uh, ultimately dictates your performance, uh, physiologically. Uh, so. Yeah. Do you think there is no ability to measure it empirically? Like I, there's a, a guy I, I watched, uh, recently who is, um, he, he went to Stanford for, I think it was, uh, economics or psychology. And then he, he lived in India and studied Buddhism for decades. And, uh, he then came back to the U.S. His name is, um, Alan Wallace. And he's an older guy now, but he started an institute where they would empirically study the effects of meditation on the body. And so he would have uh, a group of people with no meditation experience and a group of people with it. And then he would basically isolate them individually, uh, put them through these protocols and then measure their uh, abilities. And I view this kind of another example of this would be they took Buddhist monks, monks and put them in a fMRI and looked at the, uh, the brain scans. Um, and then I think they actually gave some of them MDMA or LSD, some psychedelic and looked at the impact that it had neurologically and anecdotally. And it was dramatically different. Like it had basically no effect on them. And I, I find that that that's at least one seemingly that's one pathway to study this connection of the mind body, empirically speaking. I am more than sure that if you work on it, you can even fairly, well, fairly empirically tolerable clinical protocol, uh, for the, for the study like this. Mm. Uh, it should be more sophisticated than just, you know, stressing some of the people out and, 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 you know, behaving normally with the other people. Uh, I, I think it also has a lot to do with, like, if you want to study how, let's say, stress affects your ability to develop age-related diseases, uh, the, 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 the length of the study should be tremendous. It's one of the, one of the reasons of why, uh, pure, uh, age expectancy studies don't happen because while humans just live too long, it, it will be a very long clinical trial where you cannot control the participants, right? Like someone hit the hit by a bus, what, right? You get a dropout. So, 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 uh, it, it is, it's just hard, uh, design wise, but then I'm pretty sure that you can come up with one, uh, if you, if you think hard enough. Yeah. And there's also, you can discover truth to your point. You can discover a truth about the body, about health, about the world. That's not, uh, it's not represented numerically. It's not an empirical result, right? Because our bodies are not machines. And while they, there are predictable hormonal responses, um, neurologically and just pharmacologically, there's, there's another element to it. You know, it's not just, I, I this is my belief. This might be a disputed topic, but I, I don't believe that there's a ton of little machines working, uh, on the cellular basis and that, and that that's just it. And that we're kind of like somehow conscious beings inside of this complex ecosystem of robots. 
there's undoubtedly these robots and they're fucking mind-blowing, the fact that they exist. Some of the visual representations of these things that you can find on YouTube are mind-blowing. Uh, but, but I do think that there's, there's, uh, th- that there's something more to it, that there, it seems like ha- we, don't, we have no idea. Uh, and tell me if you disagree with anything I'm saying, but we have no idea why they do what they do uh, on so many levels. Like we can see the process of uh, you know, myelin unfolding in the brain or neurotransmitters or just the way that muscles contract or cells take in or put out uh, uh, different different substances. Like all these things are insanely complicated and the, the, the motivation behind it, like what, why do they do what they do? We can see how they do it. We can see what they're doing. Um, I, but yeah, it does seem to me that like that, if we don't, if, if scientific study doesn't try to encompass this within the, the, the conscious mind, and it looks at this as like a, a robotic mechanical issue, it's, to me, it seems like there's a, a proverbial wall that we just won't be able to get over. And I, I don't know if, if you align with that or not. I, I will respond. I will respond in a very, uh, uh, well, I'll, I'll second that. Look, I, I think what you're referring to is this big old question of, like, I cannot be just, you know, a a very complicated random combination of cells that, that happens to be walking around uh, among the other uh, random, very complicated, uh, you know, once in a trillion uh sort of chance of, of of being born uh complication of cells right uh so 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 that that is that is a question in in the in the realm of of sort of higher meaning and 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 who are we right and and i think that realistically uh there are good things about empirical scientific approach and there are bad things the good things are science always asks you to prove things. It always asks you how you measured things, how you measured certain effects. How do you come up with these conclusions? What was the scale against you were measuring? Uh, what was the group against w- which you were comparing to? Now, the bad thing about science is the very same argument. It doesn't allow uh, these exploratory hypotheses uh, to be dominant unless proven otherwise. Right. And this is where I think, uh, scientifically, we are in a way limited to, uh, you know, biology, to, uh, you know, metabolic processes, to looking at our bodies as, you know, a, a, a huge, well, on the cellular level, huge factory, uh, that has been uniquely built throughout thousands of years and, and millions of years of evolution. Right. And then, Again, the other level of abstraction is, well, questioning, like, why was it built? And, and, and if you wish, by whom and under which circumstances, right? But this is where you are not in the realm of science. This is where you are getting into sort of uh, the turf of, uh, I think, more religious um, as well as, uh, you know, spiritual doctrines, if you wish. Right. So this is some, 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 the areas where, where science is not, is not maybe in control or does not acknowledge that well. That said, by the way, uh, a very, a very sort of down to earth scientific fact, 
Um, a lot has been done now in terms of research on your microbiome uh, and, and sort of your microbiota. Uh, and, and, and we're now getting as far as a acknowledging that we didn't understand anything pretty much on the role, on the huge role of the bacteria in your gut actually influencing you and your decisions and your cravings as a human being, right? Uh, all the way to hypothesizing that your gut bacteria are actually kind of the ones that are controlling you, right? And, and sort of controlling your behavior. And that, and that's, you know, that's a scientific hypothesis that has been, is being tested, not in this form, of course, but sort of that's the, that's the, that's the essence of it. So we still don't even know a lot about how we function cellular level wise, not even spiritually. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I, I love it. I mean, it's it's such it's an area that affects everybody, and it might even be the most meaningful thing to everybody, which is your own health and the relationship that you, as a conscious being, have to your body. And yeah, I just give you so much credit for pursuing this seriously and starting the three projects that you have. Uh, where where are you online? Are you personally active on Twitter or anywhere else you want to throw out there? So I don't have Twitter. Uh, I do have LinkedIn, um, where you can find me by my name, surname. Uh, I do have our fund and, and the foundation both have LinkedIn uh, profiles. Uh, we are very active there. Uh, we have our own blog. Uh, you can reach me personally. If you're interested, you can sort of ping me on Facebook. Uh, you can go that, that far, right? But, um, for for the fund and the foundation, it's LinkedIn, it's blogging, it's our collaboration with, by the way, crypto-oriented media. So one of our partners in the fund, Gary, um, he is a contributor to Cointelegraph. He regularly writes about longevity, about how crypto industry and longevity industry are actually very similar in terms of risk-taking, in terms of sort of the overall vibe that started the whole uh, well, radically different, but then very similar spheres in terms of sort of the overall attitude and, 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 you know, tolerance to risk and, and exploration, right? Uh, Gary, by the way, has a very cool article. Check it out, uh, which is, uh, related to the, the first experience and, and, and the experience of working with the longevity physician. So there are doctors, longevity doctors. And, um, uh, one of our advisors in the fund, uh, in, in our advisory board, uh, Evelyn Bischoff. So she's one of the most renowned longevity physicians in the world. And, 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 and she's actually consulting some of our LPs in the fund, uh, because we're always happy sort of to, to make these introductions to our partners. So, uh, and, and, you know, there are, there are very, there is very cool content that, that the fund and then the foundation both generate in terms of popularizing longevity, um, to, uh, to begin with. So. Yeah, um, and uh, you can you can pretty much follow us there. Yeah, awesome. Well, Sergey, congrats on all the progress, man, and I, I wish you uh, the best of luck in the future. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts, tweet about it, or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.